Hello, my name is Neil. I'm one of the pastors here at King's. And this morning, we're going to be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2. But before we read the passage, let me just set the scene. There's this man from Nazareth, and he's uh, going around, and he's preaching with incredible insight, incredible knowledge, understanding, wisdom of the scriptures. But more than that, he's also demonstrating power. He's healing people. Uh, incredible, instantaneous healings. But even more than that, he is making outrageous claims about himself, about who he is and who has sent him. He's saying that he is the son of God. He's saying that he is God. And this guy's name is Jesus. Jesus is gaining more followers every day and he's challenging the existing power structures, uh, the Jewish authorities and leaders. He's challenging them and he's calling them out as hypocrites, um, basically saying that you've failed to love God the way God has commanded and to love uh, your fellow man. So they plot to kill him and they do. They take him and even though they couldn't find any charge against him, uh, they crucify him out of fear, out of jealousy, out of greed for the power that they have and that they want to keep. So Jesus is crucified. But three days after his death, he is raised back to life. And the scriptures tell us that he demonstrates and shows many proofs to his followers that it is indeed him, that the same Jesus they witnessed being crucified is now standing before them raised to life. And he spends about 40 days with his disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then he ascends to heaven. But before he does, he gives his followers an instruction to stay in Jerusalem and await the helper that God has promised. And so when we pick up now this passage in Acts 2, uh, this moment has come, the helper has come. God has poured out the Holy Spirit upon his disciples and there's all sorts of crazy things kind of starting to kick off and happen. Uh, the main one being people are speaking in foreign languages, languages they didn't know before and they're speaking in fluent dialect. Uh, and actually the crowds around them even are kind of accusing them of being drunk. And this is the context that the Apostle Peter then stands up and he preaches the gospel. So we're going to read Acts 2 from verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We're going to just drop down to verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, uh, that's King David, David and Goliath David, he died and was buried and his tomb is still here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay, but that God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And then drop into verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now I've called uh, my message today, Game of Thrones. Now don't worry, I am not speaking on the TV series, I'm not endorsing it or recommending it. What I wanna talk about is that your life and my life is basically a Game of Thrones. In secondary school, we used to play a game called King of the Hill. I went to Forest Hill Boys, a picture's gonna come up, uh, a local school to here, to here in Southeast London. And um, we played this game, King of the Hill, and kind of underneath the library, which is the main bit of the building you can see there, there were these steps. That, there was about four or five steps that had this kind of platform. And uh, it was basically, you we would fight and wrestle to stay up on this platform and we had to throw each other off. Now, the Lord blessed me with size and stature and so I would often win, except when my friends realized this, they started ganging up on me and throwing me off first, but it was a great game. There is a defining question over all of our lives. Whether you know it or not, whether you are consciously thinking and asking it or not, there is a question being asked and acted upon and lived out every day. And that question could take multiple forms. You could ask it by saying, who's in control of my life? Who's at the steering wheel of my life? Who is king of the hill? Who is seated on the throne? In this passage of scripture, Peter preaches the gospel. He says, this Jesus who performed signs and wonders before your own very eyes, what he said about himself was true. He was and is God and you killed him. But although you were the ones that handed him over to be crucified, it was actually always part of God's plan. It was God that truly handed Jesus over so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. That Jesus would die on a cross, be buried in a tomb, but be raised back to life three days later. But why? Why is this good news? That's what gospel means, the good news. Why did it have to happen like this? You see, you and I were made in the image of God to have relationship with God. Everything that we are, everything that we are meant to be in life was meant to be completely in relation to knowing God. We were made to orbit around God, to have our whole being centered around Him, around a loving, gracious, kind, good God. This is literally what we were made for. Now, one of the marks of uh, God's image in us is our ability to exercise moral choice, free will, the ability to choose. And the teaching of Christianity is that man chose 
to be independent from God. We chose instead of finding our grounds for existence in him, we decided just to look to ourselves. Instead of our lives orbiting around God, we chose to become a son in our own right around which everything else must now orbit. We chose to be God, simply put. And ever since this moment in the heart of every human, a game of thrones, a war of thrones has raged. In the passage we read, Peter uses this word sin. What is sin? Sin in its essence is the rejection of God as God. More than just each individual wrongdoing, which we maybe often think of, it is the rejection of God as God. A.W. Tozer, who is an American Christian pastor, author, lived in the early 1900s, he said this, he said, sin, a moral being created to worship before the throne of God, sits on the throne of his own selfhood and from that elevated position declares, I am. I am is the name that God gives to himself. God is the self-existent, holy, all-powerful, ever-present, eternal, before time, outside of time and space. He is, I am. And yet sin has caused us to, instead of worshipping before his throne, we sit on our own and we now declare, I am. This is the cosmic game of King of the Hill, the cosmic game of thrones that is in play. This is the defining question with eternal consequences. And in this passage that we've read from Acts 2, there is a moment when the reality of this strikes the heart of everyone listening. We read in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? In this moment, their eyes are opened and they realize that the man they handed over to be killed, the man that they had crucified was indeed the son of God. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a knowledgeable man wasn't just a doctor, a healer, a physician, not just a good man or a wise man or a man with good moral teachings. This was the son of God. This man whom we crucified was and is God. Everything he said about himself was true and their response is to say, what shall we do? Quoting Tozer again, he says that when the crowd says, what shall we do? He says, this is the deep heart cry of every man who suddenly realizes that he is a usurper and sits on a stolen throne. Friends, we were never meant to sit on the throne. We were literally not created for that purpose. Yet what sin has done is to make it the defining, crippling, single focus of our lives. Our sinful nature has made us so desperate to be on the throne, to be in control, that we would sooner wreck our lives than to dethrone ourselves. 
There's a very well-known famous song, which is also regularly quoted by preachers, to be honest, for a good reason. And that's uh, I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. I'm gonna just read you some of the lyrics. It says, and now the end is here, and so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more. I did it, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway and more, much, much more. I did it my way. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and I did it my way. For what is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. Let their record show I took all the blows and I did it my way. A beautiful song, a hugely successful song, but beyond just the beautiful arrangements and orchestra and vocals, there's a reason why that song is so popular and it echoes in the heart of man. It's because it taps into, it speaks into, it cheers on the sinful and desperate part of every person to be the master of their own destiny, to be the king of the hill, to be seated on the throne. And it's the great satanic lie. It's the lie that the devil spoke to Eve in the garden where he said, do you know what? God didn't really say, you don't really need to listen to him. You do it your way. You take control. You be God. We were not created to be on the throne, to do it our way, to be the center and have everything revolve around us. We were made for him. We were made to encircle and worship his throne, to find our being, our purpose, our identity, our very selves in him. Just as a sunbeam perishes when it's cut off from the sun, so man, apart from God, passes back into nothingness. We were made to know him and to be known by him, to live in relationship with him. But sin has separated us. A holy, perfect, good God cannot condone and allow sin to remain in his presence. And to do so would be to deny himself as God. But the good news of the gospel is that through Jesus, crucified and risen, through faith in him, we can have relationship with God again. If you are just prepared to dethrone yourself, to repent of your sin, to confess your need and desire for Jesus, to throw yourself upon his mercy, you can come back into this loving union with God. There is but one who truly sits on the throne, but it's sin's game to make you think 
that you can sit on the throne. It's sin's game to let you think that you can be the master of your own destiny, that you can control anything at all. It's sin's game to make you desire and want the very things that lead to misery and ultimately to death. You know, there are loads of stories uh, about how when people have blindly followed satnavs, particularly when satnavs kind of were first out, there are loads of real stories, real accounts of when people have blindly followed them and it's either caused a massive accident or they've got stuck and in some cases have ne really nearly led to their death. I was reading one story of a guy in 2009 and he's following his sat-nav and he just notices the road is starting to go uphill, the road starts to narrow, eventually it turns from kind of like normal road to like a dirt track and he's thinking this doesn't look right but the sat-nav says it's a road. And so he follows it and he keeps going up and he kind of starts to reach the peak of this hill and his car starts going over and then suddenly he realizes that the front of his car has actually gone through a thin wire fence and he is inches away from driving over a cliff edge. I mean, it's nuts. And there are just loads of stories like this where people, even though there are warning signs, people have just blindly followed it nearly to their demise. Sounds crazy but it's happening every day. Our culture says that the main goal in life is to achieve power, wealth, and sex. That is what the fulfillment of happiness, satisfaction looks like for our culture. And the messaging that we are getting bombarded with, filled with every day is this is what will make you happy. And yet the more our culture acquires these things, the more miserable we seem to be becoming. Mental health issues, anxiety, depression are through the roof. Community life is eroding and people are increasingly becoming uh, more isolated and more lonely. There are huge warning signs along the route that our culture is taking. It's getting more uphill, the road is narrowing, the way is getting harder to see but people are just following it blindly, not asking the big questions of life. There is one parallel that I wanna make with what I'm saying today and the TV series Game of Thrones, and that is this, that one way that you could summarize that whole series is the closer anyone gets to the throne, the more miserable their life becomes that anyone who desires to sit on the throne ultimately ruins their life and generally leads to death. So what is your response this morning? For those of us who follow Jesus already, I want to remind us that this is a daily choice to keep enthroning Jesus to keep enthroning him in our lives and to keep denying ourselves the throne. It's a daily choice to center ourselves around him, to lay down our crown and exalt him as king. So let me encourage you, keep going, keep him central, keep worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe you're listening to this right now and this has slipped in your life. Maybe it's been a season where you haven't been enthroning Jesus, where the temptation 
to seat yourself on the throne, to have everything revolve around you. That, that temptation has been great and you've lived more for yourself than for, for him. Maybe you've just been pulled adrift by some of the lies our culture is feeding us and just gradually over time, you've just gone more off course. Come back today. Come back to Jesus. Confess again your need and your desire for him and he will meet you with open arms. Crown him again as Lord of your life. Bow the knee again before him and he will welcome you back and he will shower you with grace and mercy. If you're listening today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you have not put your faith in him, I want to encourage you just to ask some questions today. The first question is who was this Jesus? Now there is lots of historical evidence for the person of Jesus. It is really not debated generally by historians or scholars, both Christian and non-Christian. There is as much historical evidence for the person of Jesus as with some of the great names of history, including someone like Alexander the Great. But the question of who was Jesus is the really important question. Was he just an excellent teacher, a healer, physician? Was he a madman? C.S. Lewis, who famously wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, said this, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. Maybe to answer the first question of who was Jesus, you really need to answer this second question which is fundamentally, did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he didn't, if his body is still in that tomb decaying, then we're as mad as he was, and this is all for nothing. But if he did, if he really did rise from the dead, then you are left with only one possible answer, that he is indeed the Son of God, and everything else he said was true. Now, fundamentally, we believe that the Holy Spirit births and reveals that knowledge, that acceptance, the faith to accept that Jesus has been risen from the dead. However, there are a couple of logical things I want you just to consider that might help you on that journey. And the first is this, that Jesus was crucified at the, at the hands of the Jewish leaders and the Romans, together plotted to crucify him. His so-called resurrection was an embarrassment and caused trouble for both of them. And if they wanted to squash that movement, all they had to do was to present a body. And they couldn't. All they would have had to do is go, your Messiah's not alive. Look, here he is. Here's his body. Just like three days ago. And they couldn't. 
They didn't. The whole Christian church movement could have been squashed in that moment and they couldn't. And then the second thing I just want you to consider is what on earth happened to these men and women, these disciples that caused the worldwide church as we now know it to be born? These men in the days leading up to Jesus's death, the days of his death and the days after, these were scared, weak men. Peter himself, who preached the sermon we've read today, he denied knowing Jesus three times because he was afraid of his, for his life. These were afraid, weak men. And yet something happened that caused such courage, such boldness. Uh, these, are, these are men who are fishermen and shepherds and they were uneducated. And yet they've gone on to preach incredible sermons and travel the world preaching the gospel. And what we now know as the worldwide church, millions and millions of believers all came from these handful of scared men. What happened that caused them to have such conviction, such boldness, such courage to proclaim the gospel for the rest of life and many of them to be martyred for their faith? Surely only seeing the risen Lord Jesus could have done that. If you come to a decision on those first two questions and you come to the knowledge and faith that, wow, this was truly, Jesus is the son of God. He died for my sins. And he's now been raised to life. If you answer those questions, then the final question you need to ask is this. What do we do now? It's the same question the crowds asked on that day when Peter preached this sermon. In verse 37, again, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And the answer for you today is the same answer that Peter gave to them. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Dethrone yourself. Repent. That means to ask for forgiveness for your sins, for rejecting God as God, acknowledge him now as Lord and Savior, turn away from your old life, put your faith and your trust in him, confess that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Friends, there is but one who sits on the throne. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they sang, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they sang, worthy 
is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.